From the Alex Trebek stage at Sony Picture Studios, this is Inside Jeopardy. Oh yes, the dulcet tones of Johnny Gilbert. It is Monday, August 1st, and welcome to Inside Jeopardy, your exclusive and official podcast destination for all things happening in the world of Jeopardy. I'm Michael Davies. I'm joined by producer Sarah Foss. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Hello. Who many of you know as Clue Crew Sarah. And we're here just steps away from the Alex Trebek stage where we're preparing to start shooting the new season, season 39 tomorrow, Sarah. I feel like the eve of a new school year. Like I'm so excited, I'm all nervous. After last season, I can't even imagine what this one will bring. Yeah, so many new things, even some new things we haven't revealed yet, despite my constant newsletter missives, <laughs> uh, including the big one from last week, which we're going to talk about. But this podcast, Inside Jeopardy, why did we create it? Well, we want to take our fans deep inside the show. Each week, we're going to be discussing everything from the shows that have recently aired, taking you behind the scenes of our champions and contestants, even discussing judging decisions for the first time ever, gameplay analysis beyond the Jeopardata, and we're going to be making official announcements about the show. I'll be here a lot, as well as producer Sarah, but we'll also be joined by other members of our producing and studio team, and perhaps a former contestant or two. Yeah, one of the things we're really excited about is that we're going to bring you these interviews on the podcast. You know, the people you've been wanting to hear from, the questions you've been wanting answers to. We're going to have those insightful conversations with our champions and members of our Jeopardy community. You're going to hear from some of our celebrity fans and also the very important people that make up our Jeopardy team our staff and crew. Yeah, it really does take a village to make this television program. I've been around <laughs> television for my entire career, like 33 years, but it still blows me away how many people work at Jeopardy, how many people make the television program that you love. Okay, coming up in the next few weeks, we should say we are going to be having the first ever joint interview. That's right. With Mayim and Ken on this very podcast. The exclusive. You're going to hear it all right here on Inside Jeopardy. What it's been like for them over the past year and a half. And it's just going to be an exciting time to hear from both of our hosts together. Yeah, we really have the uh, organs of media protected here at Jeopardy. Now, we've got my newsletter where I make the <laughs> announcements, the end of the press release. And now we're going to do our own interviews here with our own people. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of your newsletter, so much that you kind of hinted towards, so many exciting announcements. I know our fans are anxious to hear more. Tell us more, Michael. Okay. Well, beyond the host announcement, that obviously was the, the lead in the newsletter. We put a lot of things out there. Some things didn't get as much attention as I thought they would. It was interesting, but that's the problem. When when you're me and you give away so much information in a single sentence or paragraph, who knows what to focus on? I'm going to get a little later to what I think was the biggest announcement that didn't really get a lot of press. And we're probably going to talk about that more <laughs> over the next few weeks. But first of all, we should say, um, you know, we're entering this period uh, of repeat shows. Um, and for the first time ever, I think, we have hand-selected. Because I think what's happened in the past, right, Sarah, is that during the repeat part of the season, the six weeks between seasons, season 38 and season 39 in this case, we've just run, you know, tournaments. We've rerun, you know, six weeks of tournaments. Exactly. Whether it was a tournament of champions year or a teacher's tournament or college tournament, teen, whatever it was, we kind of would select three of those tournaments and rerun them. Now, we only did one tournament this year in syndication. That was a professor's tournament. JNCC, of course, was in prime time. So we didn't have that option. But also our feeling in this, you know, what has been, frankly, a sensational, I would say, historic season, certainly for me, because it was my first one. I've been um, here 21 years and I would say it's historic. So you're on the right track. <laughs> so it's been a historic season. We've had so many great episodes. We decided that this year we would take six weeks, 30 shows, and we would run 
really amongst us producers, and we we sat around and talked about it, our favorite episodes of the year that would feature a number of our second chances that we're going to announce later in the uh, podcast, uh, a number of our uh, champions, this sort of amazing champions we've had this season, episodes that featured them, and just some of our favorite games. Yeah, we're kind of recalling it the road to the TOC and letting you see some of the great players and the moments that kind of formed the field that will be, well, a pretty historic TOC as well. And along with these repeats, we're debuting Jeopardy highlights. This is something which, you know, you and I have been working back and forth on uh, for months now, just trying to get it right. You know, I get teased widely for constantly talking about that Jeopardy (laughs) is a sport um, and what the sports do. They have highlights. But like in all seriousness, a lot of people, you know, a lot of our viewers, especially our younger viewers, don't have access to watch the show on a television station. They don't might not. They might have cut the cord to cable. They probably don't have the antenna hooked up. And they they rely on being able to see and follow Jeopardy on social media, potentially some illegally shared uh, files on YouTube. So we're going to have highlights after every episode this season. But for now, you're going to see them after every one of these six weeks specially selected reruns. And it's just the beginning because we're going to have so much additional content on our Jeopardy! YouTube channel. So you're not going to want to miss any of it. Yeah, the highlight's not just something we're doing during repeats. We are going to be now launching. We've got a whole team of editors <laughs> sitting there uh, watching the shows and editing. And look, this is an experiment. Like, let us know what you think. Give us feedback. We want to get this right. It's tough. There are 61 clues in a single episode of Jeopardy! We can't show all of the clues in uh, three minutes. We can't show everything that happens during the game. We just had to sort of select what we felt was important so you can catch up. I've watched it. I love watching the highlights now. Um, I have a terrible memory. I often don't (laughs) remember uh, the episodes that have just played. But anyway, we're very, very excited about these repeats. Um, I kind of picture it like if you're around the water cooler the next day at work and someone's talking about a big daily double or a moment it missed, you can just go back to your computer real quick Plug in the highlight, watch it, and you're going to have everything, all the highlights right there. Second thing we spoke about was Jeopardy Honors, Sarah. That's right. We would be remiss if we didn't honor our late and legendary host, Alex Trebek. It was just his birthday on July 22nd. He would have been 82. And so to pay tribute to not only him, but to others who have helped contribute to our lasting legacy here at Jeopardy, we are so excited to announce the first ever Jeopardy Honors ceremony. Now, this was your baby. You pitched this to me. I remember the pitch. I remember the deck. I remember every word. The second you mentioned it, I'm a big fan of the NFL honors. I love this idea from the second you mentioned it. We're still working on it. More details about this are going to be coming up in the next couple of weeks, but we're really excited uh, on Jeopardy honors. We're going to be inducting our inaugural Hall of Fame class as part of Jeopardy honors. And we've thought a lot about into who should be inducted into our class of 2022. We're going to be sharing that news really soon. And we're also going to give awards to some of our most outstanding champions of this past season, kind of in line with the NFL honors. So we're excited to reveal what those will be as well. Okay, I mentioned a couple of other new initiatives. Uh, I talked about some special weeks. There's a little bit of questions, a lot of questions from, from fans out there. We're working on a high school week. You know, it's been a while since we've done teens. I sort of feel that, you know, just like we do college that we should rebrand teens and we should do it as high school. We loved professors last season. In fact, last week, we'll talk about it in a bit. Last week was like (laughs) a mini professors week uh, on the final uh, week of season 38. But we've also started thinking, you know, I've had this, you know, often with me things start as um, gags or things that make me smile. And then I realize and people around me realize I'm completely serious. 
Um, yeah, I've learned that about you. So um, <laughs> I've been obsessed with this for a while, and I've talked about it before, that I want to launch a Jeopardy book club. Part of that inspiration is our senior researcher, Michael Harris, who's going to be coming up later on Inside Jeopardy. But part of it also is these amazing librarians we've had on the program. And I've thought for a while that on Jeopardy, which is literally about books, that game board is about books. Jeopardy is about books. The The writers and researchers work in a, a room secreted away uh, in a building on the Sony lot, which is just literally a library full of books. And so the idea of a tournament of librarians is something we've talked a lot about. Maybe it's professors or librarians. We're still thinking about it. Maybe it's professors versus librarians. Maybe we build a whole competition. Uh, but that's the other special we're thinking about. But wait, there's more. You mm. want to expand the Jeopardy verse even further, Michael. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, those are special weeks during the syndicated Jeopardy. Look, for a while, I think that there are lots of really smart, brilliant people in this country who would make fantastic Jeopardy contestants, but they know little of European medieval history and Latin American geography. Uh, but they know everything about pop culture or they know everything about sports. You know, I'm a big sports fan. You know this. Uh, I laugh all the time. I'm constantly warned away by the writers and the producers on the show from doing too much sports on the show. And we do have quite a lot of triple stumpers. I know this is a joke out there in Jeopardy world um, that when we ask sports questions, very often our contestants are, you know, not great at it. We should say Amy Schneider was a killer in any sports question that we put on the show. Yeah, that football category she yeah. would have done well in, but it didn't fare well with our contestants a few years back. But we're certainly talking, we're certainly developing uh, Sports Jeopardy. Thank you for bringing that back. And we're also looking into building a pop culture vet Jeopardy. I did a show several years ago uh, for VH1 called The World Series of Pop Culture. Pat Kiernan uh, was the host. I'm really interested in uh, bringing a pop culture version of Jeopardy. I know there was Rock and Roll Jeopardy, of course. There that... was, hosted by Jeff Probst on VH1. That was fun. That was a really fun show. But I think the biggest, for me, the biggest announcement that that actually got, uh, partly because I put so much in that newsletter <laughs> that it got buried you under, got buried under the blame. mess, um, was my dream about um, building Jeopardy Masters. And we're going to talk more about this you know, on this uh, podcast over the next few weeks. But look, I've thought for a long time that GOAT, how often can we do GOAT, really? The greatest of all time, you know? Well, before season 38, I probably would have given you a different response. Oh, what would, have, <laughs> what, what, what would the response have been before season 38? Maybe like every 20 years. And now after doing it, what's your response? We got to do it now. Okay, so, so <laughs> GOAT, so my whole thing is that I think you probably can only do GOAT every 20 years. One of the first changes I I made was, you know, establishing this Jeopardy postseason that we will do Tournament of Champions every single year at the same time, end of October, beginning of November. But the TOC is obviously just for the champions of the previous season. This year, it sort of takes it a little bit of season 37 and moves into 38. But basically, it's of our contemporary champions playing the TOC. And then there's GOAT that we do every 20 years. There is nothing between that. You know, we do not have that you know, what I think could be the biggest brand of Jeopardy, you know, in my mind to see James Holtzauer play against Amy Snyder and Matt Amodio and Matea Roach and Ryan Long. Other, you know, we've got so many great champions from the last even just 10 years in the world of Jeopardy who can compete on a Masters primetime league. League, maybe? Is it a tournament? We've always done tournaments, but is this maybe a league that goes to playoffs? That's part of my master's fantasy. My other part of my master's fantasy is 
figuring out a way to do this live. <laughs> this is the part that and scares this is, me. This is really scares. And thrills me at this the same time, the Michael. entire producing I stuff. love it and I'm terrified. I love live television. Electronics, we should say, in game shows make live production very difficult. For years, people thought that Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which I used to produce, was live. It wasn't. We used to produce it the night before, edit it overnight, and put it on the next day. I think we could do Jeopardy live. I think it would require doing a half-hour show in a one-hour time period, which would require pre-game, perhaps inside Jeopardy around the whole thing. Pre-game, post-game, you know, similar to an NBA game. Sometimes they have to stop because the shot clock doesn't work, you know, and we might sometimes have to stop because the game board has malfunctioned in some way. It does happen. Um, Or the judges have to stop and discuss a ruling. Yes, but I do. But maybe we get to talk about that. Maybe that's commentary. I just think a live version of Jeopardy that, you know, the missing brand I would actually freely give up all of these other extensions. The missing brand for me in the world of Jeopardy is a primetime live program or a streaming live program where the very best Jeopardy players of all time and currently compete against each other for everything. I just think that would be magnificent. Oh, I get excited. I get almost teary-eyed thinking about it, Sarah. All right. Before you get too choked up, okay. I want to take a look back at the final week of... C- Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus... Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. He's in 38. What a week it was. Yeah. uh, An interesting week. As I said earlier, it was like mini professors week. It seemed that we'd done some casting for professors. We still have some good people uh, left over and we put a few of them into these episodes. Yeah. The uh, first show of the week, Monday, July 25th. Ed Coulson, professor of economics, I believe, um, took down returning contestant Carla Fawcett. Superb performance in the double Jeopardy round. But then there was that final Jeopardy. Oh, yes. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Do you know what I love about Final Jeopardy? Certainly with our best Final Jeopardy clues, you learn something new every single time. And I found myself playing along with this one, um, watching it on repeat, partly because I'd forgotten everything that had happened uh, from producing this last month. Who did you think of? Uh, I immediately uh, thought of the Belinda. The clue, just to bring I you back. I thought of Belinda Carlisle. You should, re- <laughs> yeah, you should, you should go <laughs> To there. bring you back, the category and final, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the clue, honored in 1998 as part of a rock group and in 2019 as a solo artist, this singer was the first woman to be inducted into the Hall twice. Yeah, Carla Fawcett, by the way, had a great guess, which was Beyonce. Yes. But there happens to be, as Ken reminded us and educated us, there is a 25-year... She's close. Yes, there's a 25-year lag uh, before you can go into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and the other guess of Gwen Stefani, also close, but not quite to the 25-year cutoff. I guess Belinda Carlisle, that turned out to be incorrect, but it was uh, Stevie Nicks. Yeah, and Ed guessed Tina Turner, which again, good guess, but... Not correct. Yep, but still prevailed and won. Tuesday show, uh, Ed had another strong performance, um, led with the most buzz attempts, buzzes, correct responses, uh, played solidly, had the lead going into Final Jeopardy uh, once again, 
that final jeopardy, uh, another great clue, uh, the Eeyore answer. Oh, yes. We all learned a lot on that one. Yeah, and of course, I learned that Americans say hee-haw, not Eeyore. I didn't realize that. Some of us. Okay, some of you. Okay. You know what I loved about Ed? As you mentioned the professor's tournament, he was actually our alternate. So if you're an alternate, you come to the tapings. Oh, interesting. And so he really gave a nod that his fellow professor tournament contestants were unknowingly serving as role models for him, you know, when he came back that second time around. Yeah, Wednesday show, you know, professor, another professor, Brianne Barker, uh, arrived on the scene, uh, ended up taking down Ed, uh, her final once again, that brilliantly worded thing. The clue was there. You know, the clue was within the clue. And uh, the answer, Galileo, that's who Milton was writing about. The pin in the clue, as the writers call yep. it. You know what I loved about her? She said she came for a fun adventure. It became an even more fun adventure. And Ed, when you talked to him after it all, he said, you know what? I'm just as nervous today as I was for my first show. So the Jeopardy nerves, I guess. They don't they don't go away. I remember actually that final. You could feel it uh, on set. um, And Brianne was blown away uh, when she ended up prevailing. Her reign, unfortunately, was short lived as Katrina Hill, a nonprofit professional uh, from Arlington, I believe, came in and won twenty seven thousand six hundred and one dollars for her single day win. A fantastic performance, but not the only notable thing that happened in that episode. No, probably one of my favorite moments also of the season, West Virginia and regular Virginia as a category. If you watched Margaret Shelton's run earlier in the season, you know that one of the contestants had rung in incorrectly with West Virginia. So she said, what is regular Virginia in her perfect accent? And Ken, of course, said, yeah, regular original recipe, Virginia. So got to love our writers for calling back that game moment. It made for a great moment for all of us to relive. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm talking fantastic. Probably my favorite episode of the week, the Friday episode. What a way to finish uh, this legendary season 38. Luigi de Guzman. What a character. What a player. What a game. Seemed to like the categories he got. He made a total of 49 buzz attempts. Impressive play. Had a strong lead going into Final Jeopardy. Smartly wagered uh, in Final Jeopardy. I think it was lasers. It's great to finish the season with lasers. That was great. I was able to secure his win. He took home $23,401. He's spending months now as a returning champion. Yeah, that's the best feeling. This is the kind of game we loved because all three of them were in contention heading into final. One thing to note, in the final game of season 37 last year, super champion Matt Amodio had won his 18th game with, get this, 24 correct responses and two incorrect responses. Luigi de Guzman fittingly had the same exact amount of correct and incorrect responses for finishing season 38. So I don't know, what does that mean for his future? Wow, that is amazing. Our uh, stats department oh, yes. at Thank Jeff you, and Data. Carlos Martinez for that one. Well done, Carlos. Uh, fantastic work. We should say that Ken uh, ended the final episode of the season um, by saying, as Alex used to say, so long. It was a really beautiful moment. I saw uh, you know, some moist eyes uh, on the set at uh, that point. Absolutely. All right. Well, season 38 has come to an end, but let's just take a look back at what a truly remarkable season it was. It's unlike anything I have ever seen. We had, of course, 44 weeks of Jeopardy! and syndication. We saw a total of 456 contestants, 441 of them during the regular season and 15 for our professor's tournament. We witnessed five super champions. Amy Schneider with her 40 games, Matt Amodio with 38 games, Matea Roach with 23, Ryan Long with 16, Jonathan Fisher with a mere 11. 
Amy, Matt, Matea, and Ryan have all made it to what we are calling the leaderboard of legends. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that four of the five in our top five are now from this season alone. And how many within the top 10 or top 10 and ties? Five. five. That's five just of amazing. The top 10. Has there ever been, what would be the second biggest season of all time after season 38? Maybe that's something we need to give to Carlos Martinez. And I think people at. are saying 2019, oh. but we'll, we'll, we'll put the stats team on that and make sure I'm accurate. Okay. Uh, and beyond those, by the way, so many other great players, uh, multiple day winners who are going into our TOC. Um, I have some dark horse ideas, uh, certainly going through that Jeopardy data of some other people who are not those named super champions who may compete really, really well based on their uh, data performance. And a lot of this has been shared by our fans on Twitter and on, uh, on Reddit. But there are a lot of very competitive players coming to that TOC. I got to give you one more one more number that our accounting department provided for me. Okay, great. In season 38, the total prize money awarded $6,620,618. Now that wow. includes tournaments and our second and third place uh, winnings, but what a number, over $6.5 million in season 38. Well, we should say JNCC also had 36 contestants and $835,000 uh, in total prizes. I mean... You know, the question I get asked a lot is why? Why are there suddenly all of these super champions? The one thing I've started to think about more is the changing nature of general knowledge. And I sort of have some experience on this, having, you know, made quiz shows also in the 1990s. I think the first quiz show I ever did was a quiz show with Wink Martindale called Debt. Then I did Win Benstein's Money. Then... Uh, Millionaire and ESPN's Two Minute Drill and the World Series of Pop Culture, which I mentioned earlier. But I do think that the nature of knowledge has changed a lot. And I think that perhaps 30 years ago, Jeopardy, you know, was, you know, another game show where because everybody shared a lot of the same knowledge, it was not extraordinary to watch people or not as extraordinary to find people who could, you know, know everything from Latin American geography to medieval European history to early 2000s hip hop, perhaps a few, uh, you know, a little bit of sports, wordplay, like this science, the, the incredible range that we ask people. Perhaps 30 years ago, when more Americans shared the same inspirations, they shared the same education, they shared the same syllabus, they probably read the same books, they read the same magazines, they knew the same thing. As the world has changed, as the internet, of course, has changed everything, and also as we are, you know, on the first few steps of definitely diversifying the material that we ask our contestants to, to know, perhaps Jeopardy is more exceptional. Perhaps what we're asking is so much more exceptional to find a single human in this sort of modern world who knows so much about old school knowledge and new school knowledge and knowledge that people on the East Coast know, people on the West Coast know, knowledge that people who are young know, knowledge that people who are older know. It is just more extraordinary. So to me, the people that can truly go out and dominate in the game of Jeopardy are rarer than ever. And so when they get a chance, when they get on, and specifically, as has been mentioned, when they start winning, they are more extraordinary because to know everything today is different than knowing everything 30 years ago when everybody seemed to be drinking from the same cup of knowing everything. We're now drinking from such a large bowl that this kind of knowledge is so rare. And it's what makes these super champions, you know, so admirable.
Well, my answer is much simpler. Okay. I just think after the loss of Alex Trebek and everything the show has gone through, if you believe in them, I think the game show gods oh. are just smiling brightly down upon us. I love the game show <laughs> gods. Uh, Merv, Monty, Alex, everybody up there looking upon our little quiz show. Okay. Onto our second chance competition. This, we should say, was going to be a big announcement. Huge. Huge announcement. Breaking uh, news. During the first episode <laughs> of Inside Jeopardy. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, in their enthusiasm, our social and digital team uh, woke up this morning and immediately posted the tournament brackets at Jeopardy.com. So already widely across the Jeppiverse, the news of who is going to be playing in this second chance competition has spread. However, uh, we still think it would be good for us to talk a little bit about who the names are to reinforce them and to talk about why they were chosen. Yeah, and first off, for the structure. If you didn't log on to Jeopardy.com yet and you're wondering how it's going to work, it's 18 players. We've chosen 18 of the best contestants who we feel deserve a second chance. We're going to do two one-week competitions. So each week we'll feature nine players. They will each play in a quarterfinal game of sorts, and then they will go on to a two-game final total point affair. The winner of each week will advance to the Tournament of Champions. So that means two spots in this year's tournament are going to second chance players. Oh my word. It's going to be stakes. a world. Big I can't stakes. wait for this. Okay, now we're going to reveal the 18 contestants or re-reveal the 18 contestants who have made it uh, to the Jeopardy second chance competition. To help us take a deeper look, we'd like to welcome, oh my word, so excited to see his face again, Jeopardy senior researcher, gameplay analyst, Michael Harris. Michael, welcome to Inside Jeopardy. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. I am excited. Hi, Sarah. Glad to see you both. One of you should have changed your name, I think. This could I get know. confusing. Michael and Michael. Well, Michael Harris. Michael Harris. <laughs> yeah. All right. He gets his full name, Michael Harris, every single time. I'm going to set you up for this one, Michael Harris. The first name is Jack Weller. You may remember him from season 37, our law student, originally from San Diego, California. Now, he had some tough odds because he came in competing against Brian Chang, who went on to win seven games and will be in the TOC. Okay, for those of you who have your brackets on the wall, <laughs> you might want to take note. Jack snagged both daily doubles in the DJ round and both heavy wagers of $4,000 each. And it came down to a rare tiebreaker, but he wasn't as quick on the buzzer as Brian Chang. He's obviously a go big or go home kind of wager guy. And uh, he has the knowledge to give anyone a run for their money. You know what I love about our Jeopardy community? That Brian Chang himself went on social media and suggested Jack Weller for second chance as soon as he heard about it. I love the way our contestants support each other. So, hey, guess what? You get your wish, Brian, and you could be seeing Jack in the TOC. All right, next up, we go on to James Fraser, a naval aviator from Newport Beach, California. There's an interesting story about James. He originally got slotted in 2019 to play against James Holtzauer. Wow. But what you may or may not know about Jeopardy is that we never have two people, as I just told you both is confusing, <laughs> with, the same, name. Yeah, exactly. with the same name would make it very difficult for our hosts. So we give our players the option. You can go by a nickname or you can choose to come back and play at a later date. Well, James made the decision to come back at a later date, but due to deployment, we weren't able to feature him until season 37. He played a great game, like you know, Michael. Yeah, he had a strong, correct response of 22, and this helped him take the lead going into Final Jeopardy without the aid, I might say, of any daily double boost. Wow. He's a solid player who is clearly dangerous clue by clue. So imagine if he hits more daily doubles in his second chance. We should say, by the way, that you know we're talking about two season 37 people 
immediately going into the second chance competition. You know, can you talk a little bit about the cutoff date? Well, yeah, the cutoff date. People remember it well because it was the big competition between Brian Cheng and Zach Newkirk. They both were well beyond the qualifying, and yet they didn't make the cutoff. So we had the same criteria for our second chance competitors as we did for our TOC competitors. Okay. So these are all people who played after that cutoff. Okay, number three. Next up, we have Nikki Porcaro, an educational consultant and tutor originally from Lebanon, New Jersey. Yeah, Nikki had 34 buzzer attempts. And just so you can understand, buzzer Buzzer attempts shows a certain amount of confidence, like you know your material, you're mm -hmm. secure, and so you're buzzing in. So Nikki had 34 buzzer attempts, which is just below the TOC average of 38, and an impressive 95% response rate, which is just off the charts. Obviously a strong player who will be more mindful of her wagering going into her second chance, so watch out. Okay, we should say that Michael Harris perhaps uh, more obsessed with buzzer attempts than any other <laughs> member of the Jeopardy and for a good reason. Uh, yeah, because, no Michael, <laughs> Harris, please explain uh, your job during taping uh, on Jeopardy. Okay, so during taping, I am what they call the enabler, and I have a little <laughs> box in front of me. Such a good name. And, and as you know, they uh, can't ring, the contestant cannot ring in until our host has finished reading the clue. And the moment that happens, I hit a little button, the indicator lights go on, the contestants know that their buzzers are open, they can now ring in and make a response to our clues. So it's a, it's a fast race, um, and it's one of the things I love about what I do on the show. Michael Harris is a Jeopardy God. I just, uh, I love true. that. And um, we should say that, you know, one thing that, you know, one of the reasons that we launched Jeopardata is as we started to look at the buzzer data, we noticed that the people who tended to win were not the people who were quickest on the buzzer, but they tended to be the people who make the most attempts, the people who solve the puzzle of what that Jeopardy clue is and realize that they have a shot and that they buzz in. And there's so much that goes into it because, you know, our contestants have to anticipate the white lights that you have so honorably oh, yeah. enabled, but not over anticipate them. Because if you buzz in before the lights are enabled, you're locked out for a portion of a second. That could be the difference between getting in and buzzing. So before we move on, I think the only person that may be more excited about Nikki coming back than me is one eclectic mom on Twitter, Lily, who does fashion, because Nikki had quite a fashion sense on her first appearance. She even had her jacket custom made. So I'm excited to see her performance and also her fashion come second chance. Okay, second chance competitor number four. All right, next up we have Rowan Ward. Now, Rowan competed in season 37 as Nicole Newlist. They have since changed their name. So from a stats perspective, you may be a little confused, but this is Rowan Ward and they came to play because they competed against Matt Amodio, 38 game winner in his final game of season 37. Yeah, and Rowan had a high buzzer attempt at 42, which is above oh. the TOC average, um, which fits. Uh, they were the one of the few contestants to actually even give Matt Amodio a run for his money in Final Jeopardy. In that game, Rowan had a 22 correct response rate, which was only two lower than Matt's in that game. And an incorrect Final Jeopardy is what stopped Rowan from being a giant killer but they could be a giant themselves. So watch out in Second Chance. Yeah, I read a lot on social media, a lot of people advocating uh, for Rowan Ward out yeah, there. Yeah, that was a close last game in season 37. I think Matt Amodio was pretty relieved to make it not only to the season end, but to a new season. 
All right, next up we have Tracy Pitzel. She's our first contestant from season 38, an accountant from Ellenburg, Washington. Now, Tracy lost also to Madame Odio, but this time in his 24th game. Her stats were, though, some of the best that we looked at. Yeah, Sarah, another strong player with 40 buzzer attempts. And without the help of any daily jubbles, her correct response of 20 saw her racking up an impressive $17,000 and bringing it all down to Final Jeopardy with Matt. Again, an incorrect response was the only thing that stopped her from breaking Matt's streak. Her second chance could be the chance to redeem herself in a big way. Well, we're heading now to Jessica Stevens, a statistical oh. research specialist from Nashville, Tennessee. She's the one who got you thinking about Second she Chance, was. Michael. She's the very inspiration for this. Yeah. Uh, after she came in second in the episode where we lost Matamodio, where his streak ended, um, Jonathan Fisher... Uh, was the winner of that game, but Jessica came in second. What a game it was as well. Yeah, she had the unlucky matchup against two Jeopardy greats. Yeah, so obviously Jessica compete with the big dogs for sure. A solid 35 buzzer attempts with 14 correct responses and not missing any of the clues in which she buzzed in on. She actually bested Madame Modio's score, but as Michael noted, she fell to Jonathan Fisher who went on to his own winning spree. So when she gets in, she is clearly a threat and I feel she's going to take full advantage of her second chance. I'm so looking forward to second chance, just going through all these names. Next up, we have Cindy Jong, a user experience designer from New York, New York. Now, I want to hear the stats from you, Michael, but what was most impressive to me is how beautifully Cindy wrote her name in her podium. One of the best handwritten names I've ever seen. Well, Cindy's gameplay was as beautiful as her writing, Sarah. A solid correct response average of 21 with only two incorrect. Her 34 buzzer attempts means she's definitely competitive. Her opponents will have to be on their toes as she comes down to final jeopardy uh, to decide the outcome. All right, next up, we have Jeff Smith, a music educator from San Diego, California. Talk about the stats of a champion, Michael. Wow. Yeah, Jeff had an impressive 48 buzzer attempts, 25 correct response average, missing only three that he rang in on. He's a bold wager, and which cost him in his final Jeopardy round, unfortunately. But if he racks up similar stats in his second chance, he will definitely be the player to beat. All right, we've got Molly Carroll next, a CPA from Austin, Texas. Wow, she came up against Andrew He, losing by only a dollar. As we know, Andrew was a five-game winner who lost to Amy Schneider. Yeah, her buzzer attempts rate of 43 make her a top-tier player for sure, losing only, as Sarah pointed out, by a dollar to champion Andrew He. Uh, It demonstrated her ability to wager and handle final jeopardy. So her second-chance opponents will have to bring their buzzer A game if they match up with her. Yes, certainly. I think Andrew He is going to be one of the strongest competitors in the TLC. His stats would certainly say so. Okay, this is fantastic. And you know what? I don't want to give short shrift to the next nine uh, by running through this too quickly. Michael, this was brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. much. My pleasure. Welcome to the first ever episode of Inside Jeopardy. It's been fantastic to have you. Will you come back next week? Yeah, for sure. Okay, good. And <laughs> Same time, same place? Yeah, same we know time, where you live. Place. We right, know where you it. live. And uh, we'll go through the next nine next week, but that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, you can, by the way, head to jeopardy.com slash second chance to view the second chance structure, as well as all of the contestants that have been selected, all 18, not just the nine we spoke about today. Uh, now, obviously, you're going to be seeing Tournament of Champions uh, contest die during these reruns. I'm sure you're wondering what the format is going to look like for that. People are wondering, Michael. They want to know. 
they have lots of thoughts about it. And who has qualified? Well, we're going to be bringing that news to you very soon here on Inside Jeopardy. Uh, we'll tell you exactly when at the end of this broadcast. Can we just tell them that it is a new structure? Could we say that much? Oh, yeah, we can. It is All a right. new structure. It's a new, it structure. Is a new structure. So just stay tuned for that. Okay. Uh, look, you've sent us so many questions for this podcast, this first Inside Jeopardy, and, and a regular feature of this podcast is going to be answering your questions. That's one of our stated goals in launching this. We wanted to take a question. We obviously had a lot of questions about the hosts. Um, uh, look, a lot of people at Jeopardy now want to you know, move on and get back to making the show. We're so excited to have both Mime and Ken on the program. We got a uh, question from Nathan, and he writes, now that both Ken Jennings and Mime Bialik are the hosts. How would each host be introduced when coming out on stage? Uh, I have got this question a lot. I Me should have too. put this. I should have put this in the newsletter. This should have been originally the uh, because last season, because mine, we had a deal with as uh, as the host of Jeopardy to do the primetime shows. She yeah. was the host of Jeopardy. Ken, because he was guest hosting, was hosting Jeopardy. They will now both. I can officially announce be referred to as they walk out on stage as the host of Jeopardy. Yes, Johnny Gilbert will introduce them exactly the same. So that's just one question, but this is a great sign, as Michael said, of of what we want to do here on the show. We want to answer your questions. People are hypothesizing all the time about what us producers are doing or thinking. Well, now you can ask us, and we're going to give you the real, honest answers. So go ahead and send us any questions at Inside Jeopardy Podcast at gmail.com. We're going to answer your questions each week on the podcast, so we look forward to hearing more. Yeah, and we'll do way more than one. Uh, we intend this to right. be. We, we had intend a lot this to, to talk about today. Question. We had, yeah, we had a we had a large rundown, but I think that's just about it for this first ever episode of Inside Jeopardy. Next week, we've got a little bit more second chance business. Nine more contestants to talk about our thinking and talk about their exceptional games that caught our attention and are the reasons we're bringing them back. And then on August fifteenth, we're going to reveal the Tournament of Champions field. We've heard so much discussion about it. So many people talking about who they think should be in, who should be out. We're going to tell you who's in, and we're going to tell you about the all-new structure. Yeah, you have to remind me what that all-new structure is before <laughs> we do that. Uh, closer to the beginning of the season, as we said earlier, we're going to have the first ever joint interview with Mayim and Ken right here on the podcast. And also next week, we're going to do some game recap of the first week of these specially selected reruns. So you're going to hear why we chose these episodes and what made them so fantastic. Please make sure you subscribe to Inside Jeopardy. Rate us, leave us a comment, share it across social uh, with all of your friends. Follow us at Jeopardy on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. Ultimately, we do plan to offer this in video also, Sarah. We do. And because we think you can never get enough Jeopardy starting today, you can catch 24-7 Alex Trebek-hosted Jeopardy episodes streaming exclusively on Pluto TV. Yeah, that's a great step for the show. 